Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London Is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Nick, Dan, and myself cover all the match reviews from the latest Chelsea matches. We cover the team news and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you already for being an awesome listener. And you know what? Let's jump right in. And I'm back, Chelsea fans. That's right. You asked for me. Here I am. More and more of it. Uh, Nick, Dan, Mike, just we cut them. It's just back to what it is you all want to hear, and that is more me. Right? Brandon <coughs> on <Okay>. Chelsea. <coughs> Brandon yeah. on Chelsea. <laughs> okay, Beyonce. <laughs> Finally, I get my own show. Just what I wanted. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. That, Anyways. That is not, it's not what the people want, though. Yeah, all they right. Want. They want old growly Nick back. That's what they need. <laughs> they need the gravel in the yeah. voice that uh, right. you can't deliver. <sighs> we all have our strengths. Anyways, that's right. Nick, Dan, and Mike back on to defend himself finally. Uh, so it's always a great, great time to have you have you here, big guy. Uh, I just want to plug Patreon real quick, as always. Uh, the biggest update is that Discord server. Tons of chatter about that FA Cup draw yesterday. I can promise you... Uh, it's a good time. It's uh, it's worth worth it. Just go ahead, Patreon, check it out. Look us up. London is blue. All right, and as always, as we get into this one, the social media questions from you all. If you want to hit us up on social media or via email, uh, you can also post now in our Discord server. So kicking us off, we do have Akshay from Patreon. His question saying, "I thought that was one of Kovacic's." best games. It's clear that Sarri instructs his left center mid to sit back and be more defensive. So I'm curious as to why he doesn't play Conte there and have, say, a Ruben or a Kovacic or a Barkley be the more attacking right center mid. What are your thoughts? Obviously, Mike, we're going to start with you because we have heard literally none of your thoughts in part one. He was so quiet. Yeah, yeah. I, I was screaming into the, the mute at some of Nick's uh, comments, but you know, typical. I'll, I'll get into typical. my opinions uh, later. You, were um, you saying, oh, man, you're so right all the time. Exactly. That's probably what it was. <laughs> I, I would say, actually, much like Nick, I would, I just don't <laughs> agree with what you're saying here. Um, <laughs> I think that we, you know, 
today is the first time that we've seen, I think it was something like 42% of the attack came from the right side. The majority of the time it's coming through the left. Um, you know, I think kind of like in the back, we somewhat, we just pivot back and forth. I think if, if somebody's going up on the left, the right's going to hang back. And I think, you know, if, if the right side's pushing up higher then that left side's going to sit. And, and maybe that, maybe that pivot is decided beforehand. Um, but you know, I don't know. I'm, to I didn't think that this was necessarily Kovacic's best game. I thought he, you know, made some great tackles and stuck in there. Um, go ahead, Brandon. I'm just going to give you a hard time. You said, you know, you know, well, I don't know. So I'm just, yeah. You know. Got to keep you honest there. You know what I'm saying, Mike? Uh, yeah. Welcome. Hi, Guayin. I underscore M underscore just underscore Al on Instagram saying, how many goals do you think Iguain will score this season? More importantly, Mike, we need to settle up from your bet at the beginning of the season. Keppa clean sheets versus Murata goals. I, I won, correct? I, you tell me. To be honest, I didn't have any money down. I wasn't too bothered. <laughs> I can't. I know we have a bet. I can't honestly remember which side. Did I bet on Murata? I can't imagine no. you did. I mean, did no, you bet you, on you bet on yes. Kepa okay. clean sheets? <laughs> yeah, let's okay. be honest. What I will, what I will what say I is, I'm I'm very sure we made a stipulation though that it was league goals. So I mean, Morata is going to be playing in a league of soccer and uh, slash football. No. Oh, I don't try. Pro- to do this. I would count. I mean, look, you know, I, I think we could take this to a neutral arbiter and see what they have to say because I think that we left enough parameter in there. That when Morata mm. just starts scoring buckets for Madrid, that uh, he will pass that uh, you know, sixteen ish, seventeen ish sure. kind of total clean sheets that Kepa will get for the season as he goes to claim a uh, Golden Glove. Well, I think the only buckets Morata is going to be carrying around is probably water bottles when he's at Madrid because I don't see him doing well there either. Um, but speaking of bets, we do Nick and I have a bet that we need some help with. Wouldn't you agree there, Mr. Verlaney? Yeah, I don't know what the actual stakes are because we made that's, it well hammered, but um but yeah, that's we, what we need help with. Yeah, we need to figure out kind of what the what the reward or punishment should be. Um we're trying to figure out which of these two players will score from open play first. Uh Jorginho or Kovacic. Neither one having a stellar goal scoring uh, record in their careers. Um, and this, this has to be from open play, not penalties, obviously. Um, so yeah, if, if you guys have any, uh, have any question or have any, uh, suggestions, I should say as to what that should be, then, uh, then I'm all ears, but, um, back to the, uh, the question from, I am just Al, I think he will score, uh, 12 goals before the end of the year, which would be a fantastic output. This is obviously talking about Iguain. Uh, I think he he looks dangerous, and I think he'll get um, he'll he'll go on a, a bit of a tear here. So I I'm pretty bullish on him uh, scoring some goals. Twelve is my number. Nice. I think I think over ten is probably where I would land. I don't know where in that plus ten mark is. Uh, it's also going to depend upon how many matches he plays. You know, obviously there's a ton of competitions we're still in, so he'll get more opportunities than someone like uh, Lorente to score during the uh, remaining part of his season across four competitions versus two. But yeah, I think, I think plus 10 is a pretty good one, Mike. Uh, I'll go with 13. I'll, I'll go one over Nick. I'll go 13. Brandon. Uh, I will 
go 13 and 1, sir. So 14. <laughs> Price is right joke in case anyone uh, got wow. that. Wow. Uh, Jay Heal on Insta saying, are we playing in a way that will get the most out of a central striker? Whether it's Higuain or Morata, we don't seem to be attacking the box quick enough to get the most out of our number nines. I mean, Dan, uh, as someone who uh, probably never played the number nine role, what is your expert opinion? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Definitely did not count on me to be a striker in any capacity. Um what I will say, though, is that when you saw Jorginho come on to the pitch in the dying moments of the uh, the match there, and, you know, along with Giroud, and you know, you did see some of the benefit that we had of playing with the striker and getting the ball moved a little bit quicker, which we were not doing in the first part of the match. We were again a little slow. So as, as we continue to build up the movement speed and quickly interchange, and then also rotate, you know, so that the pace of the players can be kept for a high amount of time during a match that we will be able to take advantage of that number nine. And really, as long as that person is helping to enable Eden Hazard to be the best version of Eden Hazard available, Nick, I think we will be in a really, really good spot. That is correct. Yeah, I think it just needs to, it it needs to flow differently than it's been flowing. Um, You know, and I think when I think, when I, when I kind of picture Iguain. His movement and position is different than Giroud and Morata. So, team's going to have to get used to playing number nine again. But, uh, yeah, uh, I, I agree with what you just said. All right. What about Malu Jedi? Is the problem really our striker or the inability to move the ball forward quickly? And we're great at sideways and back. I mean, this is the conversation. We will find out very quickly uh, on what we end up getting from Gonzalo Higuain because, uh, you know, as far as his track record, if the ball is in the box, he can score. If there's delivery and service, he can score. He's proven that everywhere he's been. So uh, we're about to find out real quick whether or not a center forward was our primary problem. Uh, what about William? So at Sublarson08 on Twitter saying, a little thought on William. When he played a, when he played simple, he was brilliant, but to but what uh, oh my gosh. I'm gonna start that one over. When he played simple, he was brilliant, but too often he tried to do too much. Was it a lack of concentration? What did you make of Callum Hudson Odoi playing on the left and William on the right in terms of the possibilities for Callum to play regularly? I mean, look, Nick, we don't know, right? Eden owns the left. Well, as Maurizio pointed out, Eden just kind of plays instinctively wherever he wants. But on the team sheet, he occupies that left forward, left wing role. I, You know, Callum has to prove that he's better than William and Pedro to get into the squad uh, day in, day out in training, right? Correct. That's just what I've been saying about Emerson and all these other guys who don't play as much as they probably want to. Um you know, I, I don't think, you know, he's you know, going to play anywhere but on the right-hand side, um, you know, Callum, that is. I think Williams' last two matches he's played on the left have been two of his better performances of the season. Um, he's also going to have to reconcile that when Eden comes back that he's not going to play where he wants to play either. So it appears that we have a team built on left-wingers and we can't buy a, a right-winger to save our life, so we have to figure that out. But... Um, yeah, the Williams' performance today was really interesting, and I, I tried to mention this in part one, but I don't think I really ever got around to it, which is I thought that obviously his goals were, were good, and I think generally his movement was good. 
he showed a lot of effort tracking back today. Um, I think that was a product of him losing the ball a lot or, or misplacing passes. So that's kind of a positive negative there. Um, but it was it was a really interesting performance because I don't think I've seen him show that much hustle in the defensive aspect of his game for quite a while, and um, and I think that was that was good to see. So um, kind of agree with you, Seb, but uh, I think there was still still a part of his game today that just wasn't uh, quite clicking for me. Well, I mean, Mike, when it comes to William, you know, and. I don't know. I mean, you think that wingers, and maybe I'm making a generalization, a lot of them, you know, whether they play on the right or the left, either they're going to cut in if they're on the weak side or they're going to be more interested in setting up the cross or setting up the shot on their strong foot if they're on that side. At Blues 22, Chelsea, just because Cho supposedly wants to leave, does Abramovich have to let him go? Chelsea's fighting for top four. You've got Polly Cracker saying, this may be settled before you record, but I don't understand Cho's desire to move. To me, it can't be over left-wing, right-wing stuff, right? Like, his opportunities are limited at Chelsea because he's not better than William, Pedro, and Eden Hazard, according to Maurizio, at this point in time, right? Maybe? No, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, this is I, – I think that he has potential, but I have not – I haven't really seen all that much potential. And and I think what you know, what was I think what people said about other people's play was the caveat that this is a seventeenth place team in the championship. He tore up some, you know, a left back who's slow. But I, I didn't think he didn't cross the ball well. You know, he got his goal, but it's a slow turn. I think that if we were in the Premier League he would have been shut down by the defender and the goalkeeper got an arm to it but couldn't keep it out. Um I you know, I think there was too often you watched him. He likes to kick the ball and just run, and his first touch was not great. Um, he, sometimes he didn't know exactly where he was running. So, I'm I'm not on the hype train um, for him right now. I don't think that he's really earned um, a position to be starting in the Premier League, let alone be trying to push through a move to the, you know, to the Bundesliga because. While he has potential and maybe while he's rated higher than Sancho was, he's not really showing it on the field. He hasn't showed it in his Europa League competitions. And to me, I see a lot of speed, but he's not putting everything else together. So, whoa, you know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, we need, we need to start pumping some brakes. Nope. We that's need to my, start that's my take. Okay. That's my um, take. Again, uh, at Rainier Blues. Just in case yep. you're wondering where to direct your your Bring level the hate. of consternation or frustration, uh, Calvin Hudson Doyle directly involved in five goals and last five starts for Chelsea in all competitions, two goals, three wow. assists. He went up against first team level Tottenham as a starting winger player and played extremely well in that match. Um, I I think. Should he be starting? I would agree that maybe the answer is no, but should he be in the conversation to start matches in comparison to William and Pedro? And really, I, I think there's not as much difference between William, Pedro, and Callum Hudson-Odoi in terms of what they bring on the pitch where you could say that one of those players deserves to be starting over the other right now, which I think is part of the problem for Callum is that, you know, in, in certain matches he might be better suited than a Pedro or a William. And I think it's 
probably frustrating for him in, in some you know, in some realm of understanding because he's seeing the contributions he's putting forward. Uh, and then, you know, coincidentally, his rise has also occurred at the same time that Pedro and William are finding a little bit more form and scoring some goals. So whereas maybe two to three weeks ago, we would have said, of course, Callum is playing better than these other individuals. He's contributing, he's assisting, he's scoring, that we should, you know, raise him up over these two. And, you know, right or wrong, the competition has kind of, ebbed up a little bit because I think there's some other individuals might be fearing for their spot. But I think to, you know, just say that we don't necessarily know, you know, he, he's not worth, you know, or hasn't merited kind of the, the praise. You know, he's, he's done some business against some top tier players in the, you know, the premier league kind of from a, a skill set standpoint. So I don't against, know if I would. Against a floundering Tottenham team because his, ah. uh, no, his other, his other, his magical stats have come against Nottingham Forest and have come against, Another really, really bad championship team. Well, look, yeah, I, 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 I think I we're writing him off way, way too quickly. No, no, no. no but the, we're we're only writing him in because we have very, very poor winger play on the right side. So now that opens up the conversation as to well, why aren't we just giving him a chance or he should do this? I'm just saying that when it comes down to it, he has not. He, I mean, so he played well in in one game against Tottenham. That was a cup competition, and he he's played okay in Nottingham Forest, and he played okay today. But I just I don't think that's necessarily a, a screaming reason that he should be starting in the Premier League on the right. But again, that that's my opinion. Yeah, and per usual, Mike, you're wrong. Um, uh, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> so uh, honestly, I'm kind of between you two, um, you know, temperature wise on this because I, I you don't care. I. Uh, no, I think the I think the point that I would make uh, on him is that I think it's clear that his ceiling is higher. To, at least it's clear to me that his ceiling is higher than what we're getting from Pedro or, or William currently. Um, it's not clear to me because we won't know this until he plays for the club. It's not clear to me if if Pulisic is at his level or if he's at Pulisic's level or if there's a significant gap between them either way. I think that's kind of <clears throat> looking ahead to the future. That's what he would be up against should he chooses to stay or, or should he choose to stay or the club uh, decides just to not let him leave. Um, so I, I'm, I'm a little bit torn on this, Brandon, because I see his potential. I see that his ability to take on players and get the crowd to jump out of their chair because of you know, one, because he does have the homegrown bias, but two, because he is an electric type of talent. Um, and I see some of the stuff that is, is indicative of a young player uh, who's learning how to figure it out. And he's not going to figure it out unless he plays. So it's kind of a catch-22 there. All right. So you're listening to this podcast right now, London is Blue. And guess what? We host our podcast on Anchor.fm. That's right. If you're looking to host your own podcast, this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right. Don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. So it's a catch-22. That's why more youth don't play. I mean, Chelsea, 
obviously have a lot to play for every single week and we don't have the luxury to give people the time because at Chelsea, if you don't win now, you are sacked. Plain and simple. So look, our success is also our worst enemy at times, but I'll take it over the opposite. Any time of the day. Uh, Nick, I'm more interested in kind of your your tweet, your points about, you know, talking about essentially what if you could tell your boss that you don't want to work while you look for another job, that kind of analogy. Yeah, so it was rumored that uh, Callum had requested, and who knows if this is true, but on, on playing under the auspices that it was true, it was rumored that he requested to not play while they tried to find a solution to the in or out transfer saga. And I, if that is true, this is where I have a problem with it because one, it's your job. Um, I, I don't get to go into work and tell my boss, yeah, I'm not feeling it. I want to go look for another job and I want you guys to still pay me, (laughs) you know, like that just doesn't happen in the real world. So I think there's a little bit of naivety there, um, on, on Callum's part if, if that did happen. Uh, but, you know, I, I think the club made a statement today too by playing him, and and Rizzo made a, a statement by playing him. Look, man, you're under contract, and if one of your major complaints is that you aren't going to see enough game time uh, to to really make your impact as a as a young player, well, then that kind of is at odds with us wanting to play you in a in a match after we just played two and a half days ago. So, well, oh, so, uh, so so two things regards to that. It. One, one. Has no one here or no one ever taken like a sick day to take an interview for another job? I'm just I'm just saying like that's a, it. a common practice throughout society. Uh, secondly, potentially, you know, if you're kind of got a bunch of mess in your head and you want your team to be successful and win, if he thought that he was going to be a distraction or that if he was going to potentially not impact the game the right way, I, I do get what you're saying about, you know, not necessarily choosing when you you know is the employer should be able to choose you know the the manager should be able to select any player at any given time, but if he is not going to be able to give a hundred percent, then I think a mature thing to do in some capacity is also to say you know what like I probably should not play today or it would be my request because I for these reasons and you know ultimately he came out he played he was successful in this match so even if that was the case uh, credit to him for when being called on stepping up, even if he was initially maybe hesitant about wanting to play today. Well, let, let me just say, I think that while we're talking about maturity, uh, you know, I think there's a severe lack of maturity of dropping in a transfer request four or five days before a window closes. You know, if, if you're going to push, then give, you know, if you if you claim to love the club and you want to do all that other stuff, give them a chance to, you know, get the best, you know, get the best price before that window opens. And also, Dan, for the record, uh, two of those assists and one of those goals—that's Premier League two. That that does, that shit doesn't count. So he's got an assist and a goal in Europa League, and then two assists and a goal in the FA Cup. And so I, I, I'm, I'm just the, I'm just saying, the, the let the, the, let's the crazy be, thing. The let's crazy the thing show. though is the level of expectation around what this 18-year-old player has to do and the amount of criticism that he's getting for saying, you know what, I want an opportunity to play. The club has not shown any pathway for players of my ilk 
to grow and to progress. You know, he's seen Nathan Aki shipped, you know, brought back as cover, gets to play almost no time under Conte, and they get sent off. He's, you know, now seeing his, you know, peers or his, you know, you know, compatriots go overseas and be successful. And, you know, he's waited, as the club have, you know, talked about potentially offers with Byron. Byron have talked about their interest with him publicly. And, you know, that's a separate conversation. But if it's something that he wanted, and he's also telling the club what he wants, because it's probably not a one-way negotiation. It's probably a two-way negotiation of the club saying, well, this is what we'd like your new contract to look like. And then he's saying, well, I would like, you know, this, this, and this. And the club is either saying yes or no to that then I don't, it, it's a process. And actually, when you hand in a transfer request, as our friend Jay Cohen would indicate, that you're actually giving up a certain contract cost. You, so you're kind of forfeiting uh, bonuses or wage structure because you're ultimately saying like this, this move is more valuable to me than this level of kind of money that you would typically owe me in this level. So there's a self-sacrifice of some compensation base to do that. And if we've been talking to him for months and months and months, I don't think it's, you know, fair to necessarily say that you should have to turn in your transfer request, you know, four days, you know, but, you know, you have to turn it in 28 days before the window. Otherwise, we're not going to consider it. Right. But I don't think you also like, yeah, we all know that the club has had <clears throat> a, 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 you know, a history of not doing great pushing some of the youth players through, but not everybody's going to be a John Terry. Let's be honest. And a lot of those other youth players haven't gone on to achieve really greatness in the Premier League. So, you know, but the difference is, is that this is a player that the club has given opportunity this is his ninth this is his ninth uh, appearance in, in in just this season alone and they've offered him a substantial sum for a young player they're giving somewhat of assurances that they haven't done to any of these other players that have have left and gone on so to me I don't think it's a fair shake to say oh the club has a history of this or I'm 18 and I've played for six months for you know a top six club that's in four real competitions. And, and because I haven't gotten in and because some of my buddies, you know, ran away from Man City to go to Germany and play, that somehow, you know, he's not Mbappe. Like, let's, let's be honest. He's not tearing it up at the international level, and he's not tearing it up in the opportunities that he's had here. He's had a couple good games against championship side teams and bad championship side teams. But Mbappe got a run in Ligue 1. Right, like he got a run with Monaco because they weren't as good. Well, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know what we can say, but we can't. You know, it's hard to sit on one side and laugh at Spurs. If you want to go watch some youth players play, go be a, you know, go support Tottenham, or if you want to actually stay in competitions and win, be part of the club. But it's we're not talking about Ruben here. Ruben has gone out on loan. He has given every opportunity. He's played under multiple managers. He's done what he needed to do to try and have a career here at Chelsea. Callum has not. He hasn't put in the time. He hasn't. He hasn't earned anything at this point. Uh, he's just saying. No, no. He no, no. He's, he's been. He's been in the youth ranks since he's been a kid. That's not a like, guarantee to that's, first that's, team. That's ludicrous to say. That's ludicrous. No, no. So, 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 eighteen-year-old so deserves an eighteen-year-old deserves to be to be given guaranteed starting time in the first team. So that's what that's you're not. Me. That's not what he's saying. No, he's that's he not, wants guaranteed time. Yeah, they all want it. That's called being a competitive professional athlete like i think but I think quitting is not because you don't get i mean there's something about fighting for uh, an opportunity he's gonna have to fight wherever he goes like the, so the why thing that, that's because maybe he saw the opportunity that he would actually get to play more somewhere else like that's it like 
that that's the only reason that he would want to go unless some of the club hasn't been trading him right. But I don't think that would ever be the case. I mean, he's the golden boy. So that doesn't mean anything to me. Like if, if he sees the opportunity, just like we said in part one, and I know you didn't get a vo- to voice this in part one, but if he, if he wants to go, then like we wish him the best, right? Like just, Oh, he know can, that he can go. Have to fu- of course he's got leverage. Yeah. I think that's the biggest difference right now is Ampadu. Right, Sim- very similar situation, but he doesn't have Bayern submitting bid after bid and talking about Ampadu publicly. Like Callum has a lot of leverage in this situation, and like if you take the Chelsea bias out of it, he would be stupid not to try to maximize the opportunity he has. If any of us are blessed to have two different organizations fighting for our services. That is a great situation to be in, right? Like the best way to go ask for a raise from your boss is to come in with a job offer from someone else. And that's what he's done. So Right. But no nobody's complaining about that. And and if we want to be, you know, he's gotten a better he's gotten a pretty substantial contract offer. I think what he went from thirty thousand a week to you know, a rumored of a seventy thousand a week offer. That's a pretty substantial offer. And on top of that, if you want to make real money, you're gonna stay in the Premier League in which they have way more money than than the Bundesliga has to offer or throw out players. And they still they still have uh, Robin. They also have wingers that are ahead of him. So to me, I don't see that it, they're not just like dumping everyone else and saying, hey, the future's yours. They're still saying, you're probably going to have to play a couple years, and then here's an opportunity, which is what our club is doing too. So to me, I can't understand really what the, the, the pull is. Well, I I would like to see – I mean, I think the bigger factor is like he has to realize that Chelsea splashed a ton of cash on Christian Pulisic. He has to feel a little bit slighted because of that. I, You know, I would think so. But if now all this Real Madrid hype is coming back in for Ed Nazard, Dan, to me the bigger like stumbling block for him is if Eden leaves. And now if Eden stays, like – then we only have one wing spot to fight for because Eden is a shoe in every single week when he's healthy. Uh, but if Eden decides to leave, now this is where the club could say, hey, he's got 18 months. We're going to hold on to him for the rest of this season, see what happens with Eden this summer, and then kind of say, all right, if Eden signs a new extension, we'll let Callum go. If he wants to, st- if, if Eden goes, then all of a sudden, Callum Hudson-Odoi's future becomes a lot brighter because there's a lot more time to fight for. What do you think about that? Well, there's not, there's that, and there's the fact that Pedro is on a one-year extension at the end of this season. You have Willian, who will be running down the last year of his contract as we head into next season. So the writing is on the wall for our aging winger population. You know, if Ed Nazard leaves, which I hope is not the case, but, you know, I know Nick disagrees and he thinks he's probably already gone um Christoph from uh the the Belgian insider on Twitter has finally said that Real Madrid actually are now considering him as a legit individual for this window previously it had been rumored or you know for this summer previously been rumored that Ericsson was the primary target but it seems like it might be Ericsson and Hazard are the two individuals they're targeting as they look to reclaim all glory um yeah I mean Callum has to wait out just a bit. If he can hold on just a little bit, the opportunities are going to be there for him. Um, but I know that. Well, and the only thing I was going to say here is, honestly, if the club 
know their stuff, and I'm assuming they do, then he can hand in this transfer request and, and we can take a serious look at it. Uh, but the club is under no pressure to sell him right now. They don't have to sell him this window. Um, they, they can wait till the summer. They can figure out, you know, what the what the situation is going to look like. I mean, just because, you know, and this is where it's a little bit different from like a, a normal person's job to to, you know, where Callum is, is, just, you know, if I if I put in my two weeks, my my boss is, is not going to go, ah, we're going to think about this for six months. <laughs> like, it just doesn't <laughs> happen. Right. So um, that's where this is a little a little wonky and, and where like, you know, normal people like myself have a hard time with it. But the, the club is under no pressure to sell him so they can keep him for six months. They can figure this out. And, uh, you know, I, I hope I hope for sure that they do, because, again, we have. We haven't replaced Fabregas yet. Uh, we haven't replaced Moses. Uh, you know, it, it's assumed that Cahill is going to go out on loan somewhere. You know, there, there could be more players leaving, and the, you know, those players are not being replaced. So, uh, I, I just hope they they wait till the summer and maybe change his mind. All right. Well, you know, I can't really wait for summer, so I'm going to keep on moving on. Something else to keep my attention. How about the fact? Um, about the bridge. So Mike on Instagram saying, as a supporter of both Chelsea and Sheffield Wednesday, tough game for me in parentheses, he says he couldn't help but notice how 6,000 Wednesday supporters controlled the atmosphere for the entire game. It is frequently commented upon how bad the home crowd is. Why? Ooh, so here's something that is sensitive for us, and, and we acknowledge this because we're not there week in, week out. That is not something we can talk to with an authority or even an opinion. But Nick... Uh, I did see Simon Johnson tweet that Sheffield Wednesday was make their way fans were making it a lively atmosphere. Uh, but to to kind of just pass on words that Stanford Chidge and others on the fan cast have said is that uh, Chelsea right now at the bridge, uh, the fans sometimes can't be bothered unless it's a big match. So think like Spurs at home on you know just a few days prior. It was absolutely rocking and it was intense. Uh, we were at the Nottingham Forest match, and holy smokes, to be fair, we are sitting next to the away section, but they were super loud and rowdy. I also, so I think part of it is just that when these championship teams come into town to the big Premier League boys, they kind of show off extra because they're trying to make up for that massive difference in class between the two teams. I think Chelsea fans probably showed up expecting the players to do the business and didn't really feel like it was on them to create this deafening atmosphere for Sheffield Wednesday. But again, I'm speculating. What about what do you think? Yeah, you know? yeah I think it, I think it's partly the team that we play, and I think it could be that you know this was also a really tough match time for a lot of uh, normal match going supporters. You know, Sunday. 6 p.m. We we know firsthand that the Sunday trains can can be a bit of a problem. Um, just less of them, and you know it's it's late. You know, so you get out of there at you know what would be uh, 8 p.m. Uh, in in London. Try and have to find a train after that has to be difficult. So um, yeah, I think there are a bunch of factors involved, and you know it's a you know as, as Chidge pointed out on our in our live show in uh, the beginning of January, it, it's an aging supporter demographic that you know has gotten really comfortable uh primarily because we've won everything there is to win so 
the the same angst and anxiety uh, isn't there once you've already kind of been to the promised land. So a lot of factors involved. I think the club has to figure out how to get more young people there. Uh, and then Jonathan Kidd also made up the the point in our live show that some of our songs are just not catching on and there, there needs to be development of new songs. So, um, you know, I don't know who would be in charge of that, uh, but someone should, should do something and, uh, and, and get that thing rolling because we have some players, especially with Higuain coming in and, and then Golden Conte and, you know, there's, we have, we have a decent chance for hazard, but, I think there's a, a an area that this you know the the supporters in the stadium can get better, and, and that's not a a huge dig at anybody who's there. It's just kind of what you know. I think people have observed over time, Dan. Yeah, I think the other thing to keep in mind is that the typical away allocation is between fifteen thousand and three thousand. So this is double the maximum typical amount. So they had the entirety of the. Fifteen hundred and three thousand. Yes, yes. yes. Um, so six thousand is a, a larger amount, and obviously, uh, we do need to create new songs. Uh, the one I'm just going to rattle off the top of my head that we can use for Higuain could be: uh, you put it at his feet, and all he does is feast. Higuain, Higuain. Um, oh, that would no. be a really good one. Oh, you know, no. <laughs> eating. You know, right? Oh, There's a lot of jokes no. about how yeah. he likes to eat. There you go. It's good, right? <laughs> Well, Dan, I and and I think all of us have gone, you know, at least in you know American supporters, we've all been to either professional events or college events, and and this is kind of your time old issue, you know, be it hockey, you know, a Caps game playing the Panthers on a Tuesday night is going to be a lot different than playing the Penguins on a Saturday night, you know. I think you know better competition always gets the home fans into it, and we watched three thousand supporters at Palace basically out sing an entire you know 17 or 20,000 people so I think you're always going to have the advantage and at 6,000 people that is a ton of people especially if they're rowdy and they're up for it you know this is their Super Bowl right this is a huge game for them and um, you know obviously you know I think like Nick said we, we can do better there there has to be better ways of of getting you know maybe lowering ticket prices or doing something to get people to bring up the atmosphere but overall I think it's kind of a a struggle that you're going to face regardless all right next one moving on uh love the old miscellaneous section here uh why has the club seemingly given up on mishi despite interest from other clubs now it's from luis m92 underscore trailblazers um He's right, so, not so the, the, thing old, to keep in mind, the club's not the only one to have given up on Mishi. Yeah. <laughs> Let's re- the, well, the the let, the issue is that uh, you know the, where he was gonna go. There's uh, the managers changed. Let's over. talk about the so, dumpster fire that is Monaco. That has surprisingly had a huge effect on Chelsea. Well, there was the sacking of uh, Thierry Henry, so uh, pundits going to Monaco to be. <laughs> Ba uh, or going to Sevilla to be a manager. Gary Neville and Henry have not done well. So uh, Frank Lampard continuing to show that uh, Chelsea individuals can have great post career, uh, post punditry careers in management. Uh, if you played for another big club in the Premier League, maybe not. Um, then also Michael Manalo sat Jardim. Uh, has been rehired as the manager after taking a payoff to leave. So good on him, but. You know, Mishi was going to go to Monaco, and now with Madrid needing to make way to get Morata on the books, 
they had to send one of their players to Monaco to get that fee there. So now the question is, where does Misha go with a couple days left in the window? So it's it's been a real interesting uh, domino carousel of sorts, Nicholas. Yeah, I, I don't really know. I, I, it's it's clear to me that you know, sorry, just doesn't value Mishi. So if that's the case and he's the manager here, then you know, if I were Mishi, I'd want to go somewhere else. I mean, I think the only other club I've heard um, have interest in him is Everton, and after after losing to Millwall, maybe they need all the help they can get. Um, so. You know, whatever happens with him, I just I wish him the best. He's he's clearly a character. He's clearly a guy that scored uh, a few really important goals for us. But it just appears that that was a um, you know a short term solution at, at Chelsea and Dortmund and Sevilla and he played pretty well at Dortmund though. Like, I mean, Interesting just, they didn't take know, him. Yeah, it is surprising, but. I and think we also... didn't we want too much, or we valued him just too high for them, right? Maybe. I mean, we set the bar pretty high ourselves. With, what, thirty-two, thirty-four million? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the issue with Everton is going to be that with Zuma there on loan, unless you're canceling Zuma's loan, which most likely won't happen, Everton would have to buy him. And you know, if you're mid-season and you know you're not necessarily vying for a Europa League spot, are you really going to invest, you know, thirty, forty million pounds potentially to buy a striker? I don't necessarily know if that's the case. Hmm. Well, yeah. Anyways, look, strikers are an absolute premium right now. Uh, talk about a, a, a small margin for error when it comes to that position. You need the absolute best. And you need someone that's reliable. And I think that Mishi's just, you know, a lot of times, look, it's system related. Sometimes it's how comfortable are you with the team? Are you settled? You know, we talk a lot about Murata being, you know, fragile. Well, everything everyone said about Iguain is that if he doesn't feel loved, he can't score goals. So who knows what happens with that? You know, same thing with Mishi. He didn't feel trusted at Chelsea. Antonio Conte didn't really like him. He was a club signing from everything that we've heard. And, you know, I kind of said this to Marata last season. It is a striker. If you're not happy, you got to go. Because if it is such a... A position that you do or die. Uh, there's not a lot of time for you to get settled and, and earn your way into it. Either you're on or you're not. So, uh, just being a striker in general is is massively cutthroat. Probably like a goalkeeper, uh, I would say. Other positions, I feel like you have a little time to build into it and stuff like that. But if you're a striker and you're a goalkeeper, you're not doing the business from day one. It is really hard to come back from that. All right. Well, anyways, that'll go ahead and uh, wrap us up for these social media questions. Uh, but we're not done, all right? Don't worry. Don't get antsy out there. We still want to go ahead and look at our next match, and that is against Bournemouth back to regular programming in the Premier League. It'll actually be away at the Vitality Stadium, and it will be on Wednesday. So we got to make sure you guys and girls are getting your, your midweek excuses, appointments scheduled and ready. It will be on you faster than you know it. Uh, Dan, huge news for coming out of Bournemouth. <coughs> look oh, man. I just, at these. I think I'm coming down with something. Look at these signings. Maybe you're coming out with a little transfer fever from Bournemouth. Dominic Solanke, <laughs> Nathaniel Klein, and uh, Chris Meppham. I have no idea who that is. Brent, Brentford player. Right. Brentford, the mighty Brents of Fordham. Um, 
Look. Yeah, that's exactly what they are. <laughs> yeah, good good job. This is this is a great transition. Anyway, yeah, I'm not, from there. Have, uh, I'm, not a, I'm not afraid to admit it. No, no, no. But in all seriousness, like, look, we have to play Brentford coming up. Or <laughs> I'm totally rattled myself. <laughs> Bournemouth coming up. Uh, you know what a situation. You talk about the the Callum Hudson-Odoi possibilities of his future. Everyone points to Jaden Sancho. There's also the Dominic Solanke route uh, signed for Bournemouth. Uh, talk about good money for someone with no minutes. But the way it stands, you've got to feel like there's a lot of momentum going in with Chelsea, and Bournemouth just aren't doing the business this season. Yeah, a couple of uh, key highlights that we pulled out here is that uh, Bournemouth have lost their last five home meetings with Chelsea in all competitions since a 1-0 win in their second tier in September of 1988. That is a long time. Chelsea have also beaten Bournemouth twice this season already, winning 2 to nothing in the reverse league fixture uh, and one nothing in a League Cup match, which uh, seems like so long so long ago at this point. Uh, Bournemouth's only previous Premier League victory on a Wednesday was a 3-0 victory against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge last season, and we can remember that because that was not a good moment in our club's history. And that they Bournemouth are also looking to scare a back-to-back Premier League victories for the first time since October, following their 2-0 win over West Ham last time out. And then... Uh, Chelsea also, who lost to Arsenal last time out, have not lost consecutive Premier League matches since March 2018. We have not scored more than twice in any of our last 12 Premier League matches since beating Crystal Palace 3-1 in November. So hoping with Higuain here, Nicholas, that we can change at least that last stat. The other ones are pretty nice for us. Yeah, I, if you think back to the earlier fixture, uh, and you know and that was way, way, way back at the beginning of the season, uh, Bournemouth are tough to play against. They always hustle. They're always kind of up, uh, up for these matches. Eddie Howe's won, I think, twice at the bridge um, since he brought them back up. So um, I know this is at their place, but um, certainly I think his team, and especially Ryan Fraser, always seem to give us a little bit of trouble. If Hazard plays, he's historically torched their back line, I think, just absolutely beat them up. So uh, you would think that with their current uh, current run of form uh, and the way that you know Chelsea could attack them, that this should be a win in my mind and um, kind of get us back on the good foot in the Premier League. That's it. Do you think we can just get back on track like that? Yeah. I well, two wins on the trot, so that's oh. that's bad. That's better. And then. You know, we're playing a team that we should beat, so why not? Nick, you're just making me so much full of more confidence and hope all of a sudden. Like, the media has told us that we're out and down. Like, we might as well pack up and go home. Yet we're in every competition possible, and we're still hanging on to top four, Dan. Apparently all is lost, except for Nick Verlaney's wise words of wisdom. Rudderless, adrift without direction uh, basically lost in the, the desert of the season but somehow sorry and his men have found a way to traverse forward uh, only manchester city and chelsea right now remain in all four competitions and bournemouth obviously has not done well in some of their additional league club and fa cup runs slash challenges uh, knocked out of both of those uh, they've also been torched a little bit so far uh, 4 nothing to Spurs recently, 4-1 loss to United, uh, 3-3 draw with Watford, lost 2 nothing to Everton, and then only just recently beat a re- resilient West Ham who have come to back, I think, a little bit after some adversity to get their ship righted, 2 uh, nothing. So, 
you know, I think we were in, in actually pretty fine form in the league, beating Watford, beating Crystal Palace, beating Newcastle, and then that uh, obviously ugly draw to Southampton and a poor loss to Arsenal. But we seem to be in the right kind of position here to uh, go in, take points, and specifically if Tottenham starts to stumble a little bit here with some of their player personnel issues, Mike, I think we have a, a good opportunity to start putting some distance between us and a United team that is looking more and more dangerous. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think it's going to be tough. I, I, initially, you know, my, my concern was, you know, Arsenal and Tottenham and, you know, United have, you know, won, I think, eight on the trot at this point under their new manager, which is, I guess, good for them, but bad for us. But I, I don't know. I feel very confident going into this matchup. Um, obviously, there's going to be a lot of former Chelsea and Liverpool players uh, <laughs> on the other side. Um, but I, I think I think we'll we'll do the business. I think we've I think we're a different team than we were going into the the Arsenal that Arsenal match. And um, you know, having a new focus and having you know a new striker, I think it's going to be a world of difference. I I think just Iguain's movement alone is going to occupy those center backs, and I think it's going to be much more difficult for teams to double or triple Eden and I think it's just going to change it up enough that um, from a game plan perspective it's going to be hard to defend against somebody who doesn't really have anything on tape um, so that that's my take Brendan. yeah I, I guess I mean I'm excited I think Chelsea gonna run out uh, I think you'll see you know back to our starting lineup I'm sure Iguain will come back in um, by come back in I mean continue to play um, you know Ed Nazard uh, Angle Lacante. I think it'd be back to the Premier League lineup, right? Now, the interesting one will be if Emerson Palmieri plays because he played midweek. Alonso played at the weekend. What happens this another match in only a few days' time? I think we'll have to kind of keep an eye out for that. Otherwise, I expect Rudiger and David Luiz and Aspie to be back there as well. So, uh, any other predictions you guys have for maybe lineup surprises or anything like that? Obviously, we'll do score predictions closer to the match. I predict that Iguain will start. All right. So we'll see. I think Emerson Ooh, gets right. a start as well. Yeah, I think Emerson will start. I think Pedro Hazard and Higuain end up being the front three. Uh, obviously, Conte comes back into the mix. Uh, I think you. You know, hopefully get a chance to start Ruben as well alongside uh, Jorginho. And I think, it will, uh, you know, Louise will come in. So we'll see a couple of rotations here. Uh, you know, the big question is really, you know, will he trust Caballero now after a clean sheet? Does that throw Kepa into an issue with uh, conceding a goal in the League Cup Just match? stop. <sighs> yeah, it's real, real decision, uh, real decision uh, issue here from Risa. Sorry. Can't be bothered. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right, well, that's going to go ahead and wrap us up for this week, part two. Uh, hope you liked it. Hope you had fun hanging out with us this week. Uh, it's going to be a good match. Uh, again, match. this will be the last one of January. It's been a crazy, crazy January. Um, for those of you who are looking at flights to go watch Chelsea play in March, note that there have been a bunch of TV changes, more of a an FYI, a nice little PSA for you. Uh, otherwise, we want to hear from you this week. Tweet at us. Instagram, comment, DM us, whatever it is you need to do, get in touch. We want to talk more about this, so get involved. Again, these are just our opinions. You have your own. We'd love to have a chat about it. That's going to wrap us up. So, uh, as always, thank you for listening. You are all amazing. Uh, We will be back next time with more Chelsea content. Uh, And until then, 
you know what to do, Chelsea fans. Keep the blue flag flying high.